Everyone, I'm excited for you to watch this new episode with Global Brand and Marketing Officer at Marriott International and the Bonvoy brand, Tina Edmondson. Please forgive me in advance, the video quality is terrible. Um, logistics, we had to do this Zoom thing and the picture quality isn't what I'm used to. Um, I'm sure we'll get another chance with Tina to go out on location, but while you watch this, think about the quality of the content because it is a masterclass for any of you building your brand out there or wondering how to launch a new product or differentiate, it's amazing. One of the things I really took away from this interview is I don't think I really considered how much I value travel and feeling like I belong when I travel after talking with Tina. Um, certainly the pandemic has changed everything for me and really, I guess, heightened my awareness of all this. Do you feel the same way as I do? The distance from family, separation from friends and colleagues has really kind of made me feel isolated at times. Um, I've basically been on lockdown for the past almost two years now. For me, travel's really opened my mind to new people, new places, new cultures, new way of doing things, new food. I mean, everything It's just opened my eyes to what's possible. It's um, educated me. I've learned about how other people live, um, had a newfound respect for philosophies or religion or culture or languages and it's just travel is I mean it's like you know a whole education wrapped up into one trip sometimes um, and one of the things I try to do now and, and especially after hearing Tina's advice is I want to travel to places where my people are or you know what aligns with my brand sometimes the social aspects of travel can be really subtle but I think can't be underestimated you know to be around um, people that you can bond with or heal with or connect with or create new friendships is is really amazing and this idea of being around your people you know like people like us do stuff like this reminds me of this old tv show from the 80s and the lyrics hit differently now especially after the pandemic maybe you recognize it making your way in the world today takes everything you've got taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot wouldn't you like to get away Sometimes you want to go where everyone knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everyone knows your name. Now let's get into it. Cheers. I'm Tina Edmondson. I'm the Global Brand and Marketing Officer at Marriott International, and you're watching Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott. Oh, you're a pro. Nailed it one, one, one time. Love it. Hey, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Brand. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be I here. Guess, oh, yeah, my pleasure. And I should also say thank you for the hospitality, welcoming us to uh, New York City from Los Angeles. Uh, I usually ask my guests, how did you get this job? <laughs> uh, it's a long story. How long do you have? Uh, you know, as much time as you've got, you know, here we are, uh, you know, with, with time on our hands. We're, we're ready to roll. Lay it on me. 
So um, I have actually spent my entire career in uh, hospitality, Brian. Um, I uh, joined um, ITT Sheraton actually right out of school. So right out of uh, right when I graduated college, uh, joined the industry, and I've been in it, you know, for almost thirty years. Um, so how I got this job is uh, I pivoted from uh, hotel operations. Oh, I don't know, about 15 years ago and got into the brand and marketing space. And I did that um, at Starwood Hotels for many, many years um, and then joined Marriott Hotels uh, well before the acquisition of Starwood, actually. Um, so it was a little bit of a coming home for me when, uh, when the merger between Starwood and Marriott happened in uh, 2016. Uh, because I had worked in both companies and uh, sort of one thing led to another. I, I had joined Marriott actually just on one brand, on Renaissance, the one that you're sitting at today. Um, and uh, over time added to my portfolio. Um, and then with the acquisition, um, uh, took over the support of all 30 brands. And then more recently, um, about two years ago, um, also added marketing, uh, global uh, portfolio marketing to my portfolio. And so now I run, um, again, the 30 brands, brand marketing, as well as portfolio marketing for Merit Bonvoy. Well, you are the exact person we want to talk to. And, and I mean, this show is called Behind the Brand. We talk about brands, we break down brands, uh, we define brands. So I'd like to unpack all that with you in a little bit. Let me roll back the clock to young Tina. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Mumbai, India. Okay. And were you thinking hospitality right out of the gate? Or were you thinking maybe, uh, you know, a law degree or medicine? Or, you know, what were you thinking about? You know, Brian, I always marvel at kids who know what they want to do when they're, I don't know, 18. Mm -hmm. um, I will be honest with you and tell you that I did not know what I wanted to do. I do come from a travel family, though. So my both my parents, my parents actually met each other um, on an airline. So they both worked for the airline. And so we traveled a lot when we were kids. And so travel sort of in my blood, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to do something in the travel space. Uh, but I'd be lying if I said I had sort of set my goals and, you know, this is what I was going to do. Kind of fell into it, but it just felt right. Yeah. And did you try other things? Did you have another path at first? Like, you know, I'll share what I did. You know, uh, I was 15 years old. I started working my first job at a pizza place. Um, but actually, you know, I cherish all those early memories, you know, whether it was uh, making pizzas or graduating and going on to being a waiter or, you know, I even washed dishes at times, you know, early on. And I, I worked in a ski shop. I did all these little, you know, sort of part-time job things as a teenager, uh, saving money for college. And I look back on that now, and it was so helpful, um, you know, to, to interact with the general public, especially, you know, uh, when, you're, when you're making food. food. Food service or being a waiter or a waitress, you know, I think is so uh, valuable because you get this interaction with the general public that you, you don't normally have. I worked retail too. I worked with uh, Ralph Lauren in retail stores and that was 
hugely beneficial to see, you know, like wholesale products, again, being marked up for retail, like 60 to 70% markup. Um, and then again, you know, selling uh, clothing to people, all of that was super beneficial. So uh, I often think it's, you know, preparation to what I'm doing now in many ways. Um, did you have any of that? I had some of that. So I started off thinking that I was going to be a doctor. And that's <laughs> a little bit of a left turn. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but changed my mind sort of over time. I ended up getting an undergraduate degree in finance. And so then I thought I was going to go into finance and business and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, I thought, uh, you know, running my own business would be something that I'd want to do. Uh, my mom runs beauty salons. And so, you know, being my own boss was uh, was sort of important uh, to me at the time. And uh, it's, it's very much sort of cultural and entrepreneurial spirit, you know, from where I come from. So spent some time with that and, and with my undergrad, actually, even when I, when I got uh, to the US for graduate school, uh, I was the teaching assistant for the uh, finance professor um, and started my journey really at the Four Seasons um, Hotel as a um, in the audit department. So did, you know, had uh, had a bit uh, of a different flavor to hospitality, if you will, uh, but then found, found this whole new, um, uh, you know, to your point of, uh, you know, interacting with uh, people, whether it's in, you know, food service at the front desk, you know, and found that just much more enjoyable. And so, uh, you know, here I am. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's dive into brand. Um, so a couple of years back, I did sort of what is now kind of an iconic video with brand marketing, the godfather of, you know, brand marketing, one of them at least, or the godfather of modern marketing, Seth Godin. I've also talked to Marty Neumeyer, who's written countless books on brand, has done work with Apple and Hewlett Packard and many big Kodak iconic brands. And Seth was a little critical. Okay, so I'll, I'll run the clip right here. People like us do stuff right. like this. So let's talk about the difference between a logo and a brand, right? Because companies spend way too much time on their logo, just like people on YouTube spend way too much time on their hair. I, I'm told they spend way too much time on their hair. If Nike owned, opened a hotel, I think we would be able to guess pretty accurately what it would be like. If Hyatt came out with sneakers, we'd have no clue. Because Hyatt doesn't have a brand. They have a logo. If I swapped the signs on a hotel at that price point, you couldn't tell. If you were in a Marriott, if you were in a Hilton, if you were in a Hyatt, the hallway, the room, I don't know, where am I? No brand. So what it means to have a brand is you've made a promise to people. They have expectations. It's a shorthand. What should I expect the next time? And if that is distinct, you've earned something. If it's not distinct, let's admit you make a commodity and you're trying to charge just a little bit extra for peace of mind. The problem that Hyatt and Hilton and Marriott and the rest have is sort by price. Because if I go online now to find a hotel, it's really simple, sort by price. Why would I pay $200 extra to go a block away? I don't. So what's the value of a brand? 
the value of a brand is how much extra am I paying above the substitute. And if I'm not paying extra, you don't have a brand. So when we think about what brands ought to do to move forward, the most important thing is to not worry about your slogan, your spokesperson, the wrapping. It's to worry about the substance. Work that matters for people who care. Find the people who care, the smallest viable group you can live with, and figure out how to give them work that matters. So if we compare, if we're still on the hotel thing, there are hotels, these new chains of mini boutique hotels, that charge double what a Hyatt might charge for less. But it's only less by the Hyatt measure. It's way more by the measure of someone who cares about what the people in the lobby look like, who cares about how hip it feels to walk into the bar. They're investing not in, oh, you get a room with three power outlets. They're investing in throwing a party in a place where you also can sleep while you're on the road. Those hotels have a brand. And those hotels are some that some people pay extra for, but almost no one in the scheme of things. Uh, when he was talking about brand, he said, uh, go into any Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, you know, sort of the big franchise brands, go into the lobby, look down at the carpet or look at the walls. And if you can't tell or distinguish what hotel brand you're in, you don't have a brand, you have a logo. And I thought, ooh, snap, you know, like that's kind of true. That's kind of accurate. Um, now, I'll also, in fairness, roll the B-roll of this Renaissance Hotel. And that's not the case here. But can you speak to that a little bit about how you are differentiating your brand? Um, it's such a ubiquitous brand, Marriott, or even Renaissance now has become sort of this very well-known uh, franchise brand. Talk about brand and, and uh, maybe respond to what Seth said a couple of years ago about it. So, um, you know, brands help consumers make decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, brands make a promise and the, the successful brands are the ones that uh, deliver on that promise consistently. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree, actually, with what Seth says, right? But, um, and, and so you should be able to, in fact, I use some version of what he says with my team, uh, where I say, if you walk in and you didn't look at the logo, could you tell from the feel, from your sense, from the sensory elements, can you tell what brand you're in? Right. Um, and, that, and that really tells you whether you have a strong brand or not. Right. Um, I would offer, Brian, that uh, brands, each brand plays a different role in the portfolio. And so there are brands that uh, bring prestige to Marriott Bonvoy, right? Um, um, primarily our luxury brands, if you will. Mm -hmm. I would argue that you could walk into an addition or a W today, not look at the logo and you would know where you are. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with that. So I'll chime in and I would say, you, you almost kind of know from, uh, not the look, but it's the vibe. You, you yeah. feel it. It's the music. Uh, it's the lighting. It's I, the smell. Yeah, it's it, the scent. I kind of feel like you walked into a party. 
at the W or a nightclub. Um, it's got that kind of like, I don't know, it's almost a rhythm to it. Like my head is starting to bobble a little bit, like thinking about W. Um, and I was super impressed when I walked into Chelsea too. I mean, I, of course, you know, I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm saying I walked into the hotel and it feels very boutique-y. Of course, you know, we're in New York City, so uh, it lends itself to that kind of look and feel. Um, but it's it's also got a kind of a cool, unique vibe. So yeah, continue on that. Oh, the other thing that Seth said is, um, he said, you know, if you if Nike built a hotel, um, you would sort of be able to imagine what that could look like or smell like or feel like, you know, because they've done a lot of legwork to lay the groundwork and foundation for that brand. So you, you can sort of imagine what a Nike hotel could can look and feel like. So uh, keep going on this because I like where you're going. Um, talk about the the purpose of the different brands and you, you have 30 under your stewardship. Right. Uh, so just speaking more about sort of the role of the brand, the role that the brand plays in the portfolio sort of defines you know, what that experience is going to be. Yeah. When, and what Seth is talking about, really, when he talks about, uh, you know, one of the larger brands being more ubiquitous or being more of a mass appeal, we do have brands that are purposefully much more appealing to a wider swath of the audience. Yeah. When you have that, and, and this is true, not just at Marriott, but across uh, you know, many of the large scale brands, you can't design a, or, or it is, not can't, you, it is much harder to uh, produce a design that is very specific and that is still, that still has mass appeal. And that's where you get a little bit of the blur where you're like, wait, where am I? Um, so so I, would, I would offer you that. I would also say that there are brands, and this is not uh, you know, by talking about uh, the, the luxury brands, I'm not saying that, um, you know, design is not important in other tiers. It is absolutely is important. So I would offer you Moxie as an example. Mm -hmm. Is again, a very specific target. And I would challenge that if you walked into the Moxie Times Square and didn't know where you were, you would absolutely know that you were in a Moxie if you recognize that brand. Um, yeah. And there are, you know, similarly, there are, uh, many of our brands that, um, again, I would argue that, uh, you know, that Seth is wrong in that you can actually um, uh, identify the brand just walking in. And yet there are others that you cannot. The, the hotel that you're in today, Brian, uh, the Renaissance, the, the brand positioning is about discovery. It is about discovery of the locale and of the neighborhood. And so when, we, when you're in that hotel in Chelsea, you see, um, you see markers or you see a nod really to the locale and the hotel is in, the in design is really inviting you to explore. For some of the elements, you sort of have to look and then you look again because you didn't get it the first time. Um, and, and that is prevalent in, in uh, you know, all of the renovated uh, Renaissance hotels. And we have, uh, we have guests that really love that. Uh, it is a, it's a nice alternative to a large skin, a large uh, big chain hotel. Um, and yet, you know, Renaissance is pretty widely distributed. We have almost 200, 180 or something like that um, hotels globally today. 
Yeah, uh, so in your defense, I, I, I'm agreeing with you. Um, of course, you know, uh, I can see Seth's point, and I think he does have a good point, as we've discussed, but I think uh, he probably didn't take into consideration all the purpose of purposeful um, branding that you've done. I, I can just think of an example. So I, I'm, I'm from LA and sometimes, you know, I'll go snowboarding in Utah or Colorado and we take a road trip. And if I'm getting really tired and I didn't plan on stopping, but I need to make uh, unexpected stayover, I know that I can count on a Marriott courtyard, right? Like not some sketchy hotel somewhere else, but it's like, all right, if I could just Google and find a Marriott courtyard, I know what I'm going to get. And I get the same thing every single time I can count on it. You know, it's not luxurious. It's not glamorous. It's not hip. There's no like cool music. I'm not walking into a nightclub, but like I have a little kitchen. I know the bed's going to be clean. The room's going to be nice. You sort of already know what to expect. And so that is actually a, you know, a part of the brand, at least in my, my experience, right? You kind of know what you're going to get. 200%. And we do that deliberately. Again, you know, there are 1,288 courtyard hotels. Yeah. Um, and we want, and, and the promise is that you're going to have an excellent sleep, right? Because yeah. the mattresses are fantastic. The, the linens, you know, et cetera. It's everything that you want to yeah. make your trip successful. Yeah. Um, the people are going to be friendly and you're going to get your Bonroy points and, and you should stay there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or if you, or if you go to a, you know, bachelor party at the W, you know what you're going to get there too. So um, yeah, that's excellent. So the other thing that, that stood out to me is sort of the design. Um, I have so many questions about branding. Let's talk about the Renaissance because that's where I'm here. Uh, that's where I'm at right now. I walked into the elevator. Well, first I walked into the lobby and there's all like these doorknobs and handles that are sort of ornate and decorating the lobby on the walls. And I thought, oh, that's quirky, fun, different. Uh, and then I walked into the elevator and it's, the wall of the elevator is made up of leather belts. So like, or, you know, older worn leather belts that have been, you know, designed also super funky. And even the artwork in this room, there's, you know, to this side of me, this blue thing is this giant peacock feather. It must be from floor to ceiling, 25 feet. I mean, it's, it's ginormous. Um, in the room here, there's another giant picture. I mean, just, so the art is very uh, purposeful, uh, quirky, interesting. How do you come up with that? Um, is that, do you decide that as a brand team? Talk, talk me through some of your process. So we, so we don't decide that as a brand team, Brian. What we do is provide uh, what we call our design foundations. So we've taken the positioning. So we talked about, again, we'll just reference Renaissance. Renaissance positioning is about discovery. It is about being intriguing and indigenous. Um, and, and so we've translated the positioning into what is a design strategy or design foundation. Okay. And we've given guidance to designers okay. uh, in a document of sorts, including, you know, mood boards and inspiration images to Creative say, this is what, 
yeah, this this is what uh, Renaissance should be. And it includes things, it includes functional things like how we think about lighting or how we think about color, but importantly, it in, includes emotional things about how we want guests to feel when, when they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, again, you know, Renaissance is very much about the neighborhood and the document sort of spells out how they should go get references from the neighborhood, right? And so, and the design document is actually what guides the designer and they will then, you know, whether it's, whether it's the artwork or whether it is, um, you know, the look and look again piece that you mentioned in the, with the doorknobs comes from the design firm that has been awarded that project. And then from the, from the Marriott side, we have a QA process, uh, a, a quality assurance process where our designers are just checking in on a periodic basis with the design firm to make sure that it's not going off the rails and it's still true to the design intent of uh, the brand. So a lot of people who watch my show or listen to my series on a podcast, you know, they have their own brands. Maybe they're like you, they're running a brand, um, working for a, a company, or they are thinking about starting their own brand. And one of the challenges is, I think, for all of us, you know, myself included, is how do we really do this, you know, in marketing speak, it's like segmentation or audience. And I'll go back to something Seth taught me as well, which is he said, Brian, whenever you're starting something new, you need to think of two questions. The first one is what's it for? In other words, you know, the goal, what you want to achieve. And the other one is who it's for. And the problem and the challenge I've run into with the who it's for answering that question is the first tendency is like, well, gosh, it's for everyone. <laughs> like everyone's going to love my brand, right? Um, but that's the wrong answer, right? Because if you try to reach everyone, then you reach no one. You really need to like hone in and niche down. So how, how do you do that? How do you decide who it's for? What's the process? Walk us through that from your point of view. So it's not a simple answer, Brian, and and we do engage consultants to help us with this sort of thing. But I'll tell you from a process standpoint, we sort of look at the traveling audience, right? We look at demographic and, but more importantly, we look at psychographic Mm -hmm. and we say, okay, um, what, if if this is the universe of the traveling public and this is how we break down demographically and psychographically, then how do we stack our brands sort of against those? So, uh, so an example is, uh, you know, there could be an indulgent, right? People that like to indulge. Demographic is, is, uh, is good to refer to, but we really design to psychographic. So I'll say the young of heart, you know, yeah. people who are of that, um, uh, enjoy that sort of thing. And yeah. then we'll say, okay, for the, for the young, young at heart um, person who is indulgent and wants to sort of experience all the stuff when they travel, we're designing for them. So to your point, you know, we design to a target consumer. And if you're true to that, there are other consumers that are on the edges that will be attracted to it. But if you, if you try to design for everyone, you get to a whole bunch of nothing and you get to what Seth calls sort of, uh, you know, uh, I can't tell, you know, what this brand is because it's, uh, 
you know, it doesn't mean anything to anyone. Yeah, there's a bit of a halo effect, right? Like someone who's my age, I can still say it a moxie and enjoy it because if I'm feeling whatever that hotel is trying to exude, I can still feel it despite my age, right? So um, are you looking at competitors? Are you, are you trying to find a, like white space in the market? Like, so let's say a Hyatt or a Hilton is not doing this. Okay, here's an opportunity for our brand to jump in and create something new, a new category. So we look at, we always look at competition. Uh, you know, that's just part of what we do. And even when we travel, I know when I travel, I'm always looking for what's new and next and what's opened in New York City and, uh, you know, whatever I'm not seeing because I always am interested in what other people are doing. Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, with a portfolio as uh, diverse as ours, there's not a lot of places or um, opportunities that uh, you know that we haven't explored, but I think the rather than the competition, it's really keeping our eye on what is changing um, in society or culturally that gives you an idea of what is new and next, and what people are going to want to uh, do in the future, and and that's also part of the the innovation part is also very much sort of baked into how we think about when we uh, when we update our design strategies or design foundations. Let me ask about maybe substitute competitors, like say an Airbnb model. How much is that chewed into your market share and, and how much are you thinking about it? Because, it, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's like beer and milk. You know, they're, they're both beverages, but they appeal to different audiences, right? But it's a substitute competitor. Okay. So different, but similar. Yeah. We think about it a lot, Brian, and, and I think we should, right? I mean, just as you think about uh, traditional competitors, you have to think much more broadly and we would be foolish to close our eyes um, to, uh, again, consumer changing behaviors, right? But to your point, it is a different offering for a different trip type. Right. And what we see is that when people are traveling for a wedding or with families where there are a couple of different families and they need more um, communal space, um, it may be a better option, right? Airbnb may be a better option. For us though, the, you know, there's, there is a huge um, cohort of travelers that love hotel amenities, right? Yeah. They want to be able to, and I'll tell you myself included, right? Um, Regardless of price, you want to be able to, for me, when I'm on vacation, I want a drink, I want someone to bring one to me. <laughs> You're not going to get that at an Airbnb. Um, you know, uh, people enjoy the, the uh, lobby spaces where they can go down and, you know, uh, grab a bite or, or um, have a spa experience or have fit fitness centers, very important. So, the hotel amenities are very important to the hotel guest. And it is really a trip purpose and travel need that would cause, um, uh, you know, a traveler to say, hey, I want a different type of experience. Now, because of that, we've gotten into the homes and villas space, as you, as you well know, uh, which is, uh, you know, now we have north of 30,000 
um, you know, homes um, on our site. And I want to be clear that we are, you know, we're not trying to compete with Airbnb. We're really trying to provide a alternative offering to our Marriott Bonvoy members because we know that people have occasion to stay in a different type of accommodation. Sometimes, you know, depending on their trip purpose, and we want to make sure that we can offer that within the portfolio of our travel offerings through Marriott Bonvoy. Yeah, so I mean, it's smart. You've got you've got to look and see what's happening around you and be realistic and and really. You know, business is all about finding uh, the problems or um, identifying solutions for people to make their life better or happier or easier or more comfortable. And, you know, so it makes sense that you guys would do that because there's this growing segment of the population that's uh, that looking at that kind of experience. I get it. Um what what's something that we might not know um, about how you go about your business? How you go about um, running these thirty brands? Is, is there something that's maybe unexpected that we would not imagine you're doing, or that you have responsibility for? Or talk about that a little bit. I, I think what is not maybe very evident to uh, to somebody sort of just looking at the 30 brands is uh, I'll sort of go back to this notion of the role of each brand in the portfolio. And so, you know, it, it's hard to, it's, it feels like it's a, a little bit of a different um, uh, riddle in the hospitality space versus, uh, as an example, in the packaged goods space. So, if you took a, uh, if you took an example from like a PNG, mm -hmm. uh, you know they have a lot of brands. Mm -hmm. um, how they manage though is quite different because it's such a different industry. Right. But when you look at the hospitality and you look at our thirty brands, uh, you know it 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 has a whole sort of different level of complexity because we're not marketing a thing we're really marketing an experience yeah. uh, which which i think makes it a, a bit more complex and so uh, we've really done a, a lot of work on saying hey we're not managing um, every brand to the exact same key performance indicators you know, depending on your, your stakeholders, you actually have different metrics for each brand that you, you should hit. Right. Um, and I think that really guides the management of the brands in a particular way. Um, we would, you know, we're excited for Fairfield Inn, um, which is now, oh, I don't know, 14, 1500 hotels. Uh, we want it to be 5,000 hotels. Mm -hmm. But I never want Ritz-Carlton mm -hmm. to be 500 hotels. Right. Uh, so again, you know, how we manage it sort of depends on what role we want those brands to play. And I think maybe that is not, uh, it, it doesn't really come to mind right away when people sort of see, um, hey, how do you manage 30 brands? 
I kind of see you as the orchestra conductor. And, you know, if the Ritz-Carlton is the, um, you know, solo violinist, you know, that um, $5 million, you know, violin, and it's just like Stradivarius, there's that. And then there's the whole like trumpet section, you know, the brass or, you know, so I imagine that you've got all these different players and they have different roles and they do different things. And then you're sort of, you know, orchestrating all of it, you know, to, to make beautiful, beautiful music. That's, that's my impression of your role. I love it. I love it. I'm going to use that, Brian. You got it. It's, it's all yours. Um, the other thing that's curious to me, maybe you can help clarify is, and I didn't know this, so correct me if I'm wrong, that basically each hotel is obviously managed by you and your, your team, but also they're independently run and managed. So like the Renaissance here in New York is going to be different than the Renaissance in Los Angeles or LA, even though they have continuity between brand, they, they understand, you know, they have marching orders, I'm sure, and they have goals, but they're also, you know, unique to that particular city, right? Yes. Um, so let me ask, answer maybe a broader question, Brian. We have brands uh, that we manage and we franchise. Yeah. So the Renaissance in Chelsea that you're at actually is a franchise hotel. Okay. Uh, so Marriott does not manage it. Uh, we provide, um, you know, standards and guardrails and, uh, you know, expectation documents and uh, a brand standards audit process yeah. uh, by which we make sure that the customer experience, uh, that, that we're meeting customer experiences, right? Yeah, and, and that, that parameters. Exactly. The hotel should be living up to the brand promise, if you will. Yeah. Uh, then there are hotels that we manage. So in... Um, in uh, New York, uh, uh, an example would be the Edition New York. We manage that. Those those uh, employees are Marriott associates. Got it. Uh, ideally, a, a, a guest should not be able to tell the difference when they walk into manager or franchise hotel. They should right. just feel like, hey, this hotel feels like a Western. And it, it shouldn't really matter, right? Because yeah. it's pulling through on all of the brand promise elements. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yes, the, from a physical design perspective, we have guidelines. From a service and uh, programming perspective, we also have guidelines uh, that, are, that go across, uh, you know, every hotel in every uh, city and country. Yeah. Yeah, that was... That was uh... It's interesting to me how that all works. It's very dynamic. Let's go maybe round, round third base coming home. Um, I want to maybe unpack uh, how, you, how you do your uh, psychographics and, and how you identify who you're trying to reach. Because I would imagine if you have 30 brands today, you know, maybe a decade from now, you might have 50 brands. I mean, who knows, right? Like you continue to niche down and find different uh, opportunities to serve people in hospitality. But so, yeah, what advice, I guess, can you give to someone, 
you know, who's starting a business and trying to really niche down? What are some of the things, what's the exercise? What are some of the things that you can do to help identify who your audience is? I'll maybe just clarify that a little bit, which is sometimes I felt like I've had the right product and service and what I've been making is great, you know, 10 out of 10, but I've been talking to the wrong people. And so they haven't either appreciated it or paid attention as much. It's not like it's been a lack of quality or, you know, greatness. I've just been literally talking to the wrong audience. How, what advice can you give to other brand marketers or people starting a business to, to do, get that right? I would say do your research. You know, one of the things that uh, Brian, I did when I uh, first joined Marriott is for the first, I would say first hundred days, maybe even longer, all I did was go out to the hotels and actually understand try to understand all of the elements from all stakeholders' perspectives. So I wanted to see physically what the hotels look like. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to the associates um, to see how, you know, what was, what were their opinions? What did they see? What did, what do guests ask for? I wanted to talk to guests to see, you know, uh, what, what did they love? What did they not like? Right. Um, and and we did a bunch of, you know, uh, research focus groups that I sat in on just to understand. So I would say listening is a really important piece of it before you even sort of pick up a pen. Yeah. Um, you know, so so really getting a full sort of 360 degree understanding of the marketplace and the role of your product in the marketplace, I think, is really important. And then I think it then it is, you know, to your other point about study the competition. Where are they? Where is the white space? What could you do better because you have some intrinsic um, advantage that nobody else has or uh, or something that is hard to get? It's hard for others to replicate because you have this sort of inbuilt advantage and then really lean in on that. Um, and I think those things really sort of set you up to be differentiated and to protect your space a little bit, build a moat around you, if you will. I mean, we were just sitting back, you know, <laughs> chopping it up, reminiscing about the good old days and all that, <laughs> you know, tracking my roots, where I came from and where I'm going. But like I say, man, Always said it. It's not about the destination.